The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Every week, we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today, we're going to bust a lot of myths and clarify many facts with my special guest today, Dr. George Kent. Dr. Kent, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Dr. Kent is Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Hawaii. He is also active in still teaching online. The man is also the author of Regulating Infant Formula, and he has a new book coming out as well, uh, which is called caring about hunger. So Dr. Kent is most certainly an expert on this uh, business about regulating formula. And I must say, I have been totally inundated with many of his publications. Uh, My desk is kind of a mess, actually, today, looking at all of the information that he has put out uh, either in book form or article form or whatever, or just the emails that we've had back and forth about the regulation of infant formula. So, Dr. Kent, before we get started in in real here, I think that all of our audience needs to know a little bit about the basics of understanding the infant formula regulations. So, typically at least in most countries, how is formula regulated? Well, let, let me just set the stage a, sure. a little bit. In uh, people who have been concerned about infant feeding and the impacts of formula for a very long time, at least since, let's say, the 1970s, have been focusing their attention on the formula manufacturers mm-hmm. and also, yes. also the sellers and complaining them uh, about them in, in a variety of ways. You know, safety issues, the health claims that are associated with it, uh, with, with formula uh, and, and so on. And uh, I've become concerned uh, uh, about this because there's been a lack of attention to the government agencies that are, ought to be regulating those private companies. After all, those, strictly speaking, those companies are for their for-profit. That's, yes. that's literally their, their bottom line. And yes. it's the responsibility of governments to see that they function in a way that's socially responsible. 
looking after the well-being of, of the children and, and their families. And it's the inattention to the role of government that has concerned me. Uh, that is the, what is frequently the failure to regulate, the failure of governments to regulate the manufacturers and sellers of infant formula and, and other baby foods. Um, so I've been working on that also in, in, uh, in working on that, it's come to my attention that there's not only a problem of the government's failure to regulate, but in some cases, the government, governments go so far as to actually, in effect, serve as promoters of infant formula, in effect, in alliance with the manufacturers, and, I believe, often at the expense of infant's health. So all, all this calls for my attention. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, partly because of my sense that very few others have been uh, looking at that, the, the issue of regulation and the, and the question of the government's role in possibly actually promoting formula. So, so my focus has been on uh, the government's role. You asked generally about uh, the, the, the role of governments in, in regulating infant formula. Mm-hmm. And, and the the short answer to that, it, it, if you look at this globally, is practically they have had practically no role. Mm-hmm. There in in the more highly developed countries uh, of the world, in meaning the, the, the United States, Canada, Europe, Japan. There are regulatory agencies which give the issues uh, attention. But if you listed all the countries in the world, I think you would find that most of them are uh, not taking any initiatives on their own. They're simply passing through regulations they find in Europe or the United States. Uh, So this puts a heavy responsibility on those highly developed countries for the question of uh, what is the quality of their regulations? You know, do do they do they take that job very seriously and attentively and independently, or mm-hmm. or do they not? And I felt that this deserves a critical a- a examination. And of course, the agency closest to home for me is the Food and Drug Administration. I, you State. took the words out of my mouth, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I gave that a clo- close examination. That's what the, uh, the book uh, on, uh, called Regulating Infant Formula uh, is mainly about. And uh, overall, summarizing, I would say uh, that the FDA has not done what it should be doing and even what it claims to be doing in regard to uh, infant formula to assure quality. There has been considerable attention to safety issues. For example, if there's a contamination outbreak uh, somewhere in in the country and it gets into the press, the, the FDA gets on it. But there are other dimensions that are quite neglected. I mean, one of my primary examples is uh, 
their acceptance of soy-based formula oh, as, mm-hmm. as being generally regarded as safe based on the observation that soy has been in the human di- diet for a very long time. Well, <laughs> that it's been part of the adult human diet as part of a diverse diet yes. uh, for, for robust adult, adults. It, Infants have a sole source. Sole source, yeah. and they're not quite as robust as full-grown ad- adults. And to suggest, for the FDA to suggest that this should get a pass without examination and doesn't require examination, to me, is outrageous. And they go even further to say that genetically modified soy oh, uh-huh. doesn't require examination. Now, that, that to me is simply bizarre. On the, on the more general question of safety claims, if you look at the FDA procedures closely, as I've tried to do, you'll see the procedure reduces to this. The, the uh, FDA asks the manufacturer, is your stuff safe? The manufacturer says yes. Yes. Okay, close, the fo- close that file. We've done enough. It is my understanding, and I my understanding is much smaller than yours, but it is my understanding that there is no uh, police dog who really looks at and tests that formula after it hits the market. Is that true? I haven't found any. Yeah, and I haven't it, either. In fact, uh, the the what what is done generally in the food safety system is they go, the U.S. government goes back to the the suppliers, the manufacturers, and asks them to do tests and report back. But in the case of infant formula, when there's a new formula put on the market, the uh, manufacturers are supposed to do some kind of monitoring uh, of of how it goes, you know, the safety, and then report back to the FDA. The FDA, as far as I can tell, has never pressed them for those reports. I think you're absolutely right. And so help me with this then. How does the FDA actually define infant formula? Well, uh, that's in the book. It's in the book. Basically, the way the FDA and the world as a whole defines, well, it's defined as uh, a a replacement for breastfeeding. It's defined Mm -hmm. that way. And it's described basically as a list of required and optional ingredients. ingredients. Mm -hmm. And the theory is that if you have that recipe, if you mix it all together, you have infant formula. Well, to me, that's a little bit like saying, if you have a can of red paint, blue paint, and yellow paint, and you mix them together, you have the equivalent <laughs> of a Rembrandt painting. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's I a great analogy. That, you know, that idea that that the infant food is nothing more than a collection of ingredients that you can put into a blender is bizarre. I mean, we wouldn't take a gourmet meal, write a list of the ingredients, put it into a blender and say, here's your gourmet meal. You can squeeze it out of this tube. Uh, uh, you know that whole way of thinking is bizarre. 
That- yes, I I would definitely agree. It seems though that the the formula company is responsible for listing the ingredients. And I I actually found this out about 10 years ago, and I've been in this business for more than 30 years, and I did not know until a decade ago, that the FDA requires that they print the ingredients and that those ingredients are approved. But once you throw them all together, they don't really say that, in, in fact, to the opposite. They, they make sure that they say, we're not making any claims about what this really is. Is that true? Well, they, they agree to the claim that it is infant formula. Yes. yes. But that's a definitional thing. That's not based on any sort of laboratory examination. And even more importantly, it's not based on any kind of sensible measure of its effectiveness. Now, I want to talk for a moment about the question of effectiveness or what I've termed nutritional adequacy. I'd like to stop you for just a moment and ask you, keep that thought, and I would like all of our listeners to keep that thought. We will be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, 
back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Dr. George Kent, author of Regulating Infant Formula and Professor Emeritus at uh, University of Hawaii. Now, before we were talking about uh, the FDA's role in formula regulation and, to some degree, the lack of role in formula regulation. And Dr. Kent was just starting to talk with us about nutritional adequacy, so I want to pick up on that now. So, Dr. Kent, is there a difference between an ingredient list and nutritional adequacy? Yes, because nutritional adequacy is about the performance of the of the product. I mean, if you think of an analogy with medicines, pharmaceuticals, it's one thing to read the ingredients in 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 a medicine, and the other is what effect does it have? Does it alleviate your headache? Does it make your pimples go away? Does it, does it do this or that? Right. Now, my concern is that in the uh, in the early, in the earlier, strong criticism of uh, infant formula, uh, particularly through the 1970s, the baby killer talk and so on, the focus was on developing countries and the question of safety of formula. Sure. And and the observation was, you know, when you have poor water quality, where your people are not able to wash their utensils, where there's limited literacy. The safety of the, the the infant formula is is questionable, but then when we uh, go come into modern times, when safety is not as big a question, it's still a question because there are contamination issues, for example. Uh, but it's a much smaller question than it used to be. And but what and so now the critics of infant formula, in a way, have lost their argument. If if most of the formula used in high-income countries is, is quite safe, even yes. though it is not a sterile product. It's important to understand that yes. our yes. formula that you mix yourself is not a sterile product. That's why there are safety risks with it. But I'm concerned that with a focus on safety, we miss really what to me is the, the more important problem, and that is does it do for the infant what breast milk does? Uh, we consider, even under the safest conditions, we find that health outcomes with, for infants who feed with formula is worse than the health outcomes who are breastfed. Very consistent. It's never the opposite, except with some very, very, very rare disease conditions. So, it's important to get at the get beyond safety to look at things like technically like uh, what I call technical nutritional adequacy. This gets mm-hmm. at things. Does it contribute to the physical growth of the of the of the child uh, over time? That, and you know visual acuity, uh, infant uh, breastfeeding. Uh, it gives a, a better visual acuity, also intellectual development. Uh, and, and perhaps most importantly, there are these uh, immune factors in breastfeeding that provide protection from a broad variety of diseases, especially infectious diseases, that you simply do not get with infant formula. They don't, haven't found a way to 
put it into infant formula. So infant formula used under the best of conditions is inferior in terms of outcomes, is inferior to breastfeeding. We have to learn to see that and we have to learn to somehow make a judgment as to whether it's seriously inferior or just slightly and it doesn't matter much and it's a fine, it's fine as a second best. Um, that, that is not, is not seriously examined by the regulatory agencies or in the case I was looking at, the Food and Drug Administration. The only thing close to measuring nutritional adequacy was looking to see if the physical growth of the infant over time uh, met certain standards. And they would, would, they would be satisfied even with assessing physical growth up to as short a time as 15 months. Well, mm. you know, that, that reminds me of some studies I've seen about, uh, you know, one of the f worries about soy-based formula is that uh, there's a fear that it could affect sexual development. Well, yes. Yes, yes the U.S. Department of Agriculture did s studies uh, on children up to six months of age and found no impact on sexual development. Oh, so as long as they're not going to be around any more than six months, we're all set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brother. <laughs> I mean, oh, it, brother. <laughs> and, it, it, and, and notice it was U.S. Department of Agriculture that did the yeah. We're in, yeah. in, in, in soy country. Uh, and so for those listeners who might not be entirely making the connection here, it is the plant estrogens that are in the soy-based formula. And while that is not the same as a human estrogen, there are some concerns about if this has uh, an effect on sexual development. So let me ask you this. Some years ago, there was a quote that is always attributed to the late Dr. Frank Oski, who was a pediatrician. I have looked high and low, and I have never found where he the, the primary source. But Oski is reported to have said that formula feeding is the longest-lasting, uncontrolled experiment lacking informed consent in the history of medicine. I'm guessing that you agree with that. Except for one important point. Okay. A huge point, and that is in a serious experiment, you collect data. Ah, uh huh. Uh -huh. And there has been what looks to me like systematic avoidance of collecting the relevant data. Ooh. In other words, in the, um, I, I have no proof of that. I don't know uh -huh. how to prove that. But the absence of data is, to, to me, is just remarkable. And in fact, I have a, a recent study a paper in, I think, the International Breastfeeding Journal about the explosion of uh, formula consumption uh, worldwide, uh, and there's no monitoring of its health impacts, none. Uh, and it's the, the lack of monitoring that's really, really troublesome. And I'm looking at... And if you look at it, even at uh, closer at home, within the WIC program in the United States, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, uh -huh. they're, they're in a perfect position to collect data 
that were oh, legal true. comparison of infant feeders and mm. breast feeders. And if you, they do collect data. They publish a lot of research. But somehow that particular question that is comparing health impacts and, I would say, economic impacts, it somehow doesn't come up on their agenda. I, yeah, I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking, okay, it's possible that Dr. Kent has missed this. It's possible that I've missed this, but I don't. I, I agree. I, it just does not leap to my mind as being right out there, readily available. And yet, it seems like that would be in an I- ideal environment to be able to collect that data. Yes, if you wanted to. Sure. Sure. And, and, I, I, I want to go back to the part about um, labeling, because as we talk about health claims. It seems to me that when mothers read the label, it seems like, uh, you know, formula's kind of second best. It's kind of almost as good. But that the impression is, <coughs> excuse me, the impression is that it's maybe just a smidgen less good. What are your thoughts on that? Well, also, it's important to recognize that, in general, the health claims made in relation to any particular infant formula is not based on comparison with breastfeeding. It's based on a previous version of the formula. Oh. No, they oh. add an agre- ingredient and say this is better, but they're not saying better than what? They usually don't say better than what. And by the way, you cannot get access to any of the studies supporting that claim. So, but if you look into it, as far as you can tell, it's always, always, always a comparison with with for another formula, not a comparison with breastfeeding. Because in general, the uh, manufacturers don't want comparisons about impact. They don't want comparisons with breastfeeding. So are you saying that the comparison is between one manufacturer's current formula versus their previous formula, or are you saying the comparison is between this manufacturer and the other manufacturer? It it could go either way. I I would say they're deliberately ambiguous than that. Hmm. Uh, Also, let let me point out a related concept. Sometimes you see claims that this formula is closer to breastfeeding yes. than, than that formula. Yes. Well, closer does not mean close. As I say in one sentence in the book somewhere, yes, New York is closer to Paris than New Jersey. That doesn't mean New York is close <laughs> to Paris. Ah, oh, right. A point well taken. But they oh. let people interpret it. They let people interpret it as meaning close to. I mean, I've yes. just now been yes. reviewing uh, infant formula distribution in 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 Chile, and uh, you know, you see the the government has, interprets the closer to arguments as close to, and it's, that is clearly not. Not what the uh, it, it may be with the intention, but it's not 
uh, accurate. Hey, listen, don't go away. Uh, I want to talk more about the Chile situation, and I also want to talk about truth in advertising. So everybody, don't go away. I will be right back with Dr. Kent after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with my special guest, author and professor emeritus, Dr. George Kent. Dr. Kent, you were talking about the claims that are made about formula, and you specifically mentioned the close versus closer. My question is this. Here in the U.S., at least, I thought we had laws about truth in advertising. Where does that fit into what can get printed on the formula bottle? I guess I really don't understand that. Well, there, there are laws about that, and there have been some overview studies about health claims in relation to infant formula. Okay. Uh, w- one of the difficulties with this is that uh, the health claims that are put out there by the manufacturers generally are not clear, testable assertions, you know, false false falsifiable assertions. So okay. there, 
they're not well-formed propositions that could in any legal sense uh, be, 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 be falsified. And so it's, it's in a way, the, the, the misleading claims. In other words, when they say uh, oh this, this formula is closer to, to breast milk or breastfeeding, it may be true. But but meaningless if it's still very distant. I see where you're going with that. When you said you cannot prove that that statement is false. Right. What you yeah. can, what you can do though, potentially, is say, give me the evidence on which you base this claim. Show me the studies. But that and means somebody's got to say it. And who would that be? The FDA isn't saying that, right? That's correct. Mm. That's correct. And uh, you know, the 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 Baby Milk Action Network, uh, based in England, does some work oh, of that uh-huh. kind, uh, uh-huh. connected with the International Baby Food Action Network. Yes. Actually, if you view it globally, there's some excellent non-governmental organizations working on infant formula and baby food issues generally. But of course they're not well they're not well funded. It's, it's a constant struggle for them. But they're doing some wonderful work. Uh, but when it comes to something like a legal challenge, that mm-hmm. takes serious money. Serious and, money. Yes. And you're yes. defeated before you begin. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about fatty acids because this came up several years ago now where the formula companies said we're going to add this stuff that we know is in human milk and this is going to make our formula just so wonderful great to me that is a health claim but the question is uh what are your thoughts on this business with fatty acids well, I, I do have a detailed article on that published in the International Breastfeeding Journal, which is available online. The online. article is available at, at no cost. No online. cost. And by the way, the, the name of that is Regulating Fatty Acids in Infant Formula, Critical Assessment of U.S. Policies and Practices. But anyway, go ahead. So, uh, the... They don't test the effectiveness. In fact, there have been some overview studies uh, called Cochrane analyses, meta-analyses. Meta-analyses, yeah. Meta-analyses where you don't just pick out a study, maybe to suit your argument, but you collect a variety of, you know, you collect all available studies on the issue and summarize them and come to a conclusion. And the Cochrane analyses done with regard to fatty acids don't support the uh, the additive in infant formula. They show that there's no real evidence of its effectiveness. But it, meanwhile, you have some manufacturers and and so they're they're, they're paid uh, you know s- supporters uh, doing some cherry picking of individual studies that appear to suggest uh, a benefit. But you know a proper pro- there's there's no real serious support for the benefit of fatty acids, the artificial fatty acids that have been added to uh, infant formula. There's a whole list of additives that get tossed in. One, and one of the interesting things about these additives is, is, is the following. The, uh, 
the basic recipe is supposed to include everything that is proven to be beneficial. Uh-huh. If, if fatty acids, additives, what they call fatty acid additives, really are effective, shouldn't they be required oh. in all infant formula? Oh, good point. What, what you find is, and I showed this in my paper, the addition of fatty acids was used to bump up the price of the product. And it has gotten into almost all infant formula sold in the U.S. And incidentally, it's importantly, you know, about half the infant formula sold in the U.S. is sold through the WIC program, mm-hmm. uh, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. The WIC program in its, uh, in its rules governing the way it makes contracts with the suppliers cannot negotiate. It has to accept prices uh, that are offered to it. So uh, they use the fatty acids, the vendors, the manufacturers, use the fatty acids as another excuse for bumping up the prices we're paying for. Mm-hmm. And with no, no convincing benefits to go with that increasing cost. You mentioned the WIC program, the Women, Infants, and Children. Uh, Earlier, you and I had an email discussion where you said, and I quote, WIC moms have lower breastfeeding rates than non-WIC mothers, even compared with non-WIC mothers of similar income levels. When I read that sentence, my initial reaction was, whoa, are you sure? And then I thought, no, George Kent seems to really know his, know his stuff. He probably really is sure. So explain this to our listening audience, please. Well, the way to understand it is the the defenders of WIC counter that statement by pointing out that WIC probably attracts women who were less likely to breastfeed anyway, and they know about the free formula, and they come mm-hmm. to WIC for that reason. Okay. My, my response is <clears throat> that answer only confirms my theory that the distribution of free infant formula uh, by in, in massive quantities by the U.S. government uh, is an incentive for using formula. Mm. It, it, it doesn't, the, the, uh, the observation, the defensive observation doesn't, under, doesn't undermine my point at all. They mm-hmm. come to WIC because they are less likely to, uh, I mean, you can't say it's a disincentive you know, the weak hand out of formula. You can't say it's a disincentive to 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 using formula. I would agree. Uh, you know, so. I would have to think about this. I don't remember when the WIC program was started, but I know it was many, many years ago. It was federally funded. And it seems to me, Dr. Kent, that the original intention was so that mothers would not be feeding their babies something that they just whipped up in their kitchen or feeding them animal milk or whatever. So I guess I would ask you, 
isn't it better that these mothers are getting free formula as opposed to something that would be really inferior? First, in, in setting the stage here, let's distinguish between WIC as a whole, which has a variety of different programs under its roof, right. and this, and specifically the infant formula infant distribution formula. program. That's and fair, it's, yes. It's only the infant formula program that I'm being critical about. Critical of. In fact, okay, it's good. important mm-hmm. to appreciate that uh, WIC also has a program to support breastfeeding. Yes, yes. Uh, so, that, so that has to be acknowledged. One of the points I make in some of my work is, yes, if you look at it closely, I mean, it's true that it does support breastfeeding. And at the same time, to other clients, it, it distributes infant formula. I argue that the, uh, that the value, the overall resources going into the formula are much greater than the breastfeeding support. And the breastfeeding support ought to be enlarged, increased, and, and possibly with resources taken away from infant formula distribution. I think. Uh, in the minute or so that we have left, do you have a number to hang on uh, what kind of money WIC spends in a year for infant formula? It's, it's a huge amount. I don't have that number in, okay. in front of me, but it's half the formula used in the country. Okay, well, that's interesting because I have never seen a figure for that, but I have heard, and I think this is uh, an interesting statement, is that the U.S. is the biggest purchaser of formula in the world. Uh, Is there any credibility to that statement? Absolutely, yes, but it's important to understand that the government pays only a tiny fraction of of the wholesale price of it because of a system of rebates from the companies. Oh, right, 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 right. So you're saying it's it's not only the greatest spender, but it is probably, they're consuming more of the formula than what might meet the eye because they get such uh, a discount uh, by way of these, uh, as I understand it, rebates. This is hugely interesting. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with my special guest, Professor Emeritus, Dr. George Kent. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. 
What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with my special guest, Dr. George Kent. Dr. Kent, you have devoted a lot of your work and your passion uh, to issues about infant formula as related to its regulation. So my question is, what is the role of government in infant formula regulation, or maybe what should be the role of government in infant formula regulation? You know, in dealing with this question, we should look not only at national governments, but we should also give some thought to the role of the international community, the the global agencies, because the infant formula business is rapidly being globalized. uh, There's a big push of infant formula, especially on uh, lower income countries, the so-called emerging economies. They uh, have many people pushing formula and hardly anyone to push back or to protect uh, them to assure that there are not uh, negative health impacts or economic in- impacts. So we need mm-hmm. to, th- to go beyond the national level and think about the global le- level as well. But to okay. come back to the national level, the conventional understanding of, of uh, the role of governments in relation to formula has been to uh, that the government should regulate its uh, to, to regulate to ensure the safety of the product and under the international code of marketing of breast milk substitutes of 1981 to also uh, put limits on inappropriate marketing of infant formula you know pushing pushing it in 
in hospitals and a variety of things. The United States has not signed on to that international code of marketing of breast milk substitutes, but many, many other, many other countries have. Well, the focus has been on, uh, especially in the United States, has been on the safety of formula. As I have said, uh, I think not nearly enough attention has been given to the nutritional adequacy of infant formula. You know, whether does infant formula do what it's supposed to do? And, and my rule on that is so long as the health outcomes with formula feeding are systematically inferior to those with breastfeeding, it is not doing what it is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's my guide, guiding rule on this. I think that part of this, though, goes back to that whole safety is different than adequacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm desperately looking for that quote that you gave, I think, in an article, uh, and maybe in the book as well, but one where you you quoted William Shedd as having say said, uh, a ship is safe when it's in the harbor, but that's not what ships were built for. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because honestly, yeah. there are so many people that put safety and adequacy into the same sentence, and those yeah. two things are totally different. Yeah. The question is, does it do the job you want it to do? I mean, it, and it, you know, I've always wondered what, uh, in, how infant formula would be treated if it was treated and evaluated by government as if it were a pharmaceutical. Mm, uh-huh. with, with pharmaceuticals as distinguished from supplements, for example... You need to, with supplements that you buy at GNC and so on. The government only worries about safety; does not back up claims about the effectiveness of those products. The same with formula. The formula does not back, does not in a serious way back up any claims about the effectiveness of infant formula. And I think that dimension needs to be treated more seriously by the government. And maybe that will come about if and when the critics. And the, mm. the, the supporters of breastfeeding look at the technical, the nutritional adequacy issue in a more systematic way. All right. So here's what confuses me. If I buy one of those medicinal teas, it's an herbal tea, and somewhere on there it says uh, the FDA has not evaluated the I don't know, usefulness or whatever of this statement, meaning the statement that it relieves your sore throat or your whatever ails you. How come we don't have that uh, uh, sentence on infant formula? Well, <laughs> infant formula is not uh, treated as a, it's not defined as a food supplement. But, it, but uh. the, effect is, the effect is the same. That is, that the, that the government is not looking seriously at the question of uh, nutritional adequacy, it is avoided. Just as it, yeah. it, it, just as it does not look at the effectiveness of tea in relieving sore throats or helping people sleep, it, the, the government simply does not accept that responsibility. Okay, so, I know that. You have uh, spent a good deal of your life writing about these issues. I'd like to call everybody's attention to. Uh, Dr. Kent's existing book, which is called Regulating Infant Formula. You have another one out. Tell us what is the main premise and the title of your new book that's forthcoming. 
The new book that should be out in, in a few weeks is called Caring About Hunger. Caring About Hunger. It uh, is not entirely devoted to children's issues, but there's a chapter to that, and all of it applies to it. And the theme of it is that if you look at the problem of hunger in the world, including the problem of serious and widespread malnutrition uh, among children, there are really no huge technical obstacles to solving those problems. I mean, mm. fee, food is not difficult to produce. We don't need GMOs. Small children don't eat very much, as you may have noticed. There's <laughs> not, a, there's not, while the, some, many children are born into poor communities, poor countries, there's not one child that has born, been born into a poor world. Mm. Mm. Not one child is born into a poor world. Why is there any hunger or malnutrition in the world? You know? And that's certainly another and, whole question. And, and, we I, will... and it's another whole book. <laughs> yeah. Caring about hunger. Most definitely. Well, as usual, this hour goes way too fast. That's all the time that we have today. But before we sign off, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. George Kent, for being with us today. Dr. Kent, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I enjoy doing it. Thank you. Finally, I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and I'd like to invite you to come back next week on Born to be Breastfed. Now, if you're interested in Dr. Kent's book or any other books that we have mentioned on the show during the year, we have those on our Amazon store, and here's how you can find it. It's borntobebreastfed.com. That's borntobebreastfed.com, where we have an affiliate link for any books or media. But also on that site, you can read my blog, and we also have a Facebook that you'll want to check out, too. And be sure that you like us. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources are on my blog, and uh, that would, those would be largely my professional website, and that's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, that's breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I will help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.